The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Good evening, good night, whatever it is. Welcome to the program. It's great to have you here. I'm a little uh, behind. I just made it uh, for the end of the theme there, and um, I'm, I'm a little disheveled, so bear with me. We're going to spend the first part of the show talking with Chris James. He's going to talk about a book he's written about Fort McIntosh and the paranormal activity that has been reported there. That'll be an interesting conversation. It always is when we talk about ghosts. Uh, what else do I need to tell you? Uh, if you're if you're listening to this as a podcast, please find the YouTube channel. Become part of our community there, youtube.com, uh, and just search for J.V. Johnson. And vice versa, if you're part of our YouTube family, find the podcast version of the show. The, fo- the podcast version of the show is available on all major podcast distribution platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, um, TuneIn. Uh, there are others, too. I don't know what the full list is, but it's almost everywhere. But the name of the show on the podcast distribution platforms is Beyond Reality Paranormal. So if you're looking for it, that's what you got to look for. Also, of course, the Twitch channel is uh, picking up a lot of steam. A lot of people are going to the Twitch channel and farming noggins. And if you don't know what that means, it's probably a good thing. But if you're on the Twitch channel, you know exactly what I am talking about. Yeah, now I see people commenting on uh, the length of my my hair. It just keeps getting longer, and uh, there's no haircut in sight. I, I will have a ponytail by the, by the end of this. I think we're headed in that direction. That will be interesting, won't it? Uh, I'm not excited about it, but, you know, we could I could grow the ponytail, and then I could put a, a, an option in the uh, Twitch chat where people can um, can spend their noggins to uh, make me cut it off. That would be an interesting angle, right? And uh, that's going to be a full evening, so we're going to get right to it. It's beyond reality. Don't go anywhere. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for being here, everybody. Appreciate you all being part of the show, whether you're listening and watching on the YouTube channel as a podcast or one of our other distribution points. I do appreciate everybody being a part of the program. So thank you. First, we're going to talk with Chris James. Chris is a writer, and he's written a book about Fort McIntosh. It's, uh, well, I'm going to let him tell, tell us what it is. Hey, Chris, welcome to the program. Great to have you on. Howdy, sir. I'm glad to be back with you. Always great to have you on, of course. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think the, you were on when you wrote the Laredo book. Uh, the yes, first sir. Time Laredo Paranormal Research Society. That's right. Uh, well, welcome back. It's good to have you here. Let's talk about Fort McIntosh. I know we have uh-huh. a bit of a, a truncated uh, time with you here, so I want to get right to it. Tell us where and what Fort McIntosh is. The fort was built back in the 19, or 1847, and originally it was just a camp a bunch of tents set up on the riverbank. Then finally they got around to actually putting a structure in. It was a big star fort. But due to building materials in the Laredo area, it was made out of piled-up dirt. And every time the wind would blow, the fort would kind of change places. The soldiers assigned there considered it the worst location in the United States. Then 
they didn't have any buildings inside. All they had were tents. So the men were pretty much out in the hot sun in the daytime, and it never got cool in Laredo in the winter at the nighttime. So it was considered a bad location. At the end of World War II, the fort was turned over to the city as a community college, and students started saying they saw things. Uh, people working there said they saw things, and eventually the Laredo Paranormal Research Society wound up out there doing a combination ghost hunt and guest event. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, and before we get into the paranormal part of this discussion, I'm still trying to get a fix on where we are geographically. Uh, Laredo, Texas is right on the border with Mexico. It's the biggest land port into the United States. Ah, okay. It's 140 miles south from San Antonio. Okay. All right. So um, there's um, another Fort McIntosh as well that's in Pennsylvania. Yes. So uh, I'm sure a lot of people had, had it confused. That's why I wanted to make sure we were specific about this. Now, yes. the fort, uh, having been built in the 19th century and basically in service for about 100 years, I imagine a lot of soldiers went through that place. Oh, yes. It was a major training center during both World War One and Two, And also it was instrumental during the Civil War because the Confederate troops took it over. Uh, Colonel Benavides ran the place, and he did such an outstanding job keeping the border under control that at the end of the Civil War, the Union Army kept him and his men on to keep doing what they'd been doing. They well, just took off the gray uniform and put on <laughs> blue ones. Well, I guess we were, they were all Americans, right? Yeah. So it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to argue that, and people forget that everybody in that war fighting on both sides was American. Yeah. Um, so with, with soldiers going through a place like that, with uh, people coming and going to war being housed there at one point or another, whether they were soldiers or POWs or whatever it happens to be, that brings with it a lot of emotional energy. In fact, the guard houses, there were at one time there were four of them, were used to house both German and Japanese prisoners of war and a few Mexican soldiers that had gotten arrested for being on our side of the river. So there were lots of prisoners held out there. Wow, okay. So um, I'm always amazed that we don't hear more about the fact that there were German and Japanese POWs brought here uh, and interred here during the course of World War II, it seems like we'd be hearing more about that, because that's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, poignant thing to have, because uh, they, were, they were shipped from wherever the battlefields were overseas to mm-hmm. American soil to be maintained for a while. Well, there was a prisoner of war camp down south of Laredo, near a town that wasn't there at the time, but now it's called Rio Bravo. And today there's a CCA and a GO prison set on the land where the prisoner work camp used to be. And people don't even know it was there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing how that was quickly just kind of washed away. Uh, uh-huh. Let's start talking about Fort McIntosh after it closed as a military base. The, the uses, um, I, I believe, if I was reading the material you sent properly, it was uh, kind of absorbed into a college? Yes, sir. The, the Army doesn't actually own the land that they build a fort on. They own the facility, but not the land. So when the facility is no longer in use, it is reverted back to whichever city owns it. And so at the end of World War II, all of the communities along the river received the land, which is already built up, and they turned it all into junior colleges. 
and that's where a lot of people went to learn various skills. And unfortunately, people think, oh, junior college, oh, that's nothing, but that's where you learn a trade. And, well, a lot of cities have junior colleges and colleges today simply because there was a military fort there originally. And at some point along the way, and you you referenced this in the uh, in the first answer you gave me tonight, uh, some people started to see some odd things. When did these yeah. odd, let's call them paranormal, things start occurring on the facility? Practically as soon as the students were there, uh, right about 1947, 48, uh, the trouble was they would see something. And at the time, it was back when if you said you saw a ghost, oh, people would think you were crazy. And so they tended to only tell their immediate family. And so a lot of the stories I got were second, third hand, uh, simply because the, you know, somebody that saw it in 1947 wouldn't be around today right. to tell it. Uh, but they saw, a lot of times they would see soldiers in uniform inside of one of the buildings. And... The first thought is, you know, what's this soldier doing in my office or what's he doing in the hallway? And then they realize that the uniform is from the 1917s or the 1940s. And that's when they would realize that what they're seeing wasn't alive and it would lead to some uh, people getting scared. They also, there's an old hospital on the base, uh, the fort, and one night the police, were called because someone heard dogs barking inside the building. And so all the campus police show up, and they surround the building, and they're looking to see if there's a broken window or maybe there's a door open and they can't find anything. But as they're walking around the perimeter, they can hear dogs barking and making a, well, a dog fight right. inside the building. Yeah. They get the keys, they unlock the door, and as soon as they push the door open, it goes quiet. They searched the entire building top to bottom, and they never found any dogs. They never found any signs of any dogs having been in there. And yet they all heard this horrible disturbance while they were standing outside. Mm. Uh, nobody can understand what the significance was because they never had dogs at the fort as far as anybody can remember. Explain to me how the buildings were integrated into the college. Did the buildings of the fort become the college? Were, they, were there other buildings that were part of the college? How does that layout work? They started out using the, the government-built structures, and it doesn't take real long to realize that those temporary buildings were not very well made. And so as time would progress, they would tear down a building, they'd put up a new one, they'd tear down another building, put up a new one, and today I think there's only maybe six or seven of the original structures that are being used by the college. There are quite a few wooden buildings around, but they're, they're not being used. Okay. So most of the paranormal activity, is it occurring in the original buildings? It's actually kind of a mixture. They're, uh, the Kazen Center, which is the student center, they keep hearing things in the offices. Uh, the cleaning crew was going through the building late at night, and they would go into the office, they'd empty the trash, they'd pick up anything needed picking up, put fresh liner in the trash can, and as they opened the door to one of the offices, they heard a growl. They thought it was a big dog or something. Mm. And so they both jumped back out the door. Well, they're wondering, how did a dog get in there? The door was locked. 
they get down and they can look under the desk, they can look under the chair, they can't see anything in the room. Every time the man tried to walk in, they would hear the growl. So between the two of them, they just decided, well, the female walked in, she grabbed the trash, walked back out, they closed the door, locked it, went home. But any time the guy would get close to the door, they'd hear that growling sound. What is it with dogs and growling? What, is there a history there that no. you're aware of that makes a connection to this? They never had any dogs on the facility that anybody can remember. There were no, uh, there were MPs there, but this was long before they had MPs with patrol dogs. All they can figure is it's a transient spirit of some kind. Or maybe it was some of the Indians that were locked up Mm. out there when the the cavalry chased them down. They did bring in some Indians, had them locked in the the facilities. I was named uh, Wildcat, I think it was. Wildcat. I was going to ask you, Wildcat, and then we're hearing dog sounds. I was going to ask you about um, about negative type activity, though, because often growling Mm -hmm. and that type of uh, phenomena is associated with some kind of negative activity. Do you suspect anything like that going on? There were uh, reports of Satanists on the property back before the the area on the south wall was built up. Uh, originally, when I got to Laredo back in 88, there was a couple of old warehouses, uh, old government buildings right by the south wall. There's an old beat-up tennis court and just a bunch of buildings that nobody wanted to use. They were in bad shape. And apparently some folks would come in late at night, and they would do their rituals right there by the by the tennis courts. And once in a while, the kids would sneak over and see them. Uh, uh, they were well-known in the area, and nobody's quite certain what they were doing or why. They just know that every once in a while somebody would see them. Uh, I ran into them, but it was in a completely different location. Uh, they move around a lot. I guess they don't want to get caught by the police for whatever they're doing. But that's about the most negative thing I can think of other than the prisoners of war that were kept out there. You ran into the Satanists? Yes. Uh, first year on the job. In fact... Uh, it was, a, it was an experience that I will never forget. Now, first of all, I just want to understand here. I mean, there are, quote-unquote, Satanists that, mm-hmm. that practice what they practice completely peacefully. They don't mm-hmm. cut heads off of anything. They don't sacrifice anything. Mm-hmm. You know, because anytime we hear Satanists, we start to yeah. think of these rituals that involve blood and, and dismemberment. Yes, uh, which kind of, Yeah, which kind of Satanists are we talking about here? I never saw anything happen that was illegal. How does that sound? But okay. it did bring to mind a movie I saw when I was younger called Race with the Devil. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So having seen that movie several times, I was not in the frame of mind to want to stick around and talk to these guys. It was a group of 15, 20 people standing around a bonfire. They're all wearing full-length gray robes, dark brown gray. They were all barefoot, which that was really weird, and ran into them about 1 o'clock in the morning. Was there a lot of them? 15 to 20. Mm, that's a good number of, of, of yep. Satanists, yeah. Uh, especially when it was me and my partner. and Our nearest backup was 10 minutes away. Wow. Uh, and you, so were you a police officer at the time? No, I was with the Border Patrol. The bo- Border years. Patrol, that's right. Okay, okay. Um, I mean, did you have reports that, uh, that these Satanists were no. doing things in this area? No one ever made an official report. But over the course of uh, talking to people, I have run into five different uh, incidents now where people have driven up on them doing their 
ritual. Uh, and it's always in some out-of-the-way place. It's never in a public location. And it's usually one of these where they drive up, the, the group turns and looks at them like, you're not welcome here, mm-hmm. and the witness is turning. Get the heck out of there real quick. Yeah. Yeah, that's always, it's a bit of an uncomfortable thing. Yeah. Um, even if they are peaceful, it's just something yeah. very uncomfortable about it. So in addition to all of this, I mean, there have been reports of a woman in white. I mean, that's a very yes. common type of paranormal phenomena for people to experience. I don't know if these women generally or p- ghosts are necessarily dressed in white or it's because they have a glow to them that looks like mm-hmm. they're in white. But either way, tell us about the woman in white. Yes, uh, Paulina was becoming a school teacher. She was taking classes out at LJC at the time, and she was walking along the street heading towards her next class. And I believe she was on, let me check the map here real quick, she was on Prime Street. Uh, She had to walk from one end to the other, and it was early in the morning. Uh, Nobody else was on the campus yet. And as she's walking, just getting ready for class, she looks up and she sees a woman going from the left side of the street to the right side of the street, all in white, but the dress went all the way to their feet. Mm-hmm. She had really long black hair. It hung down all the way past the small of her back. Uh, the, the dress had a very high collar, came up under her chin, and it had long sleeves, and it looked super old style. And as Paulina is walking towards the woman, looking at her, that's when she realizes that this woman is about six inches off the ground, and no, no part of her is moving. She's just drifting across the street. And it kind of scared the heck out of her. She yeah. turned and ran back to the Kazen, I think it was the Kazen Center or the dance hall, where there was a, a phone on the wall, an old uh, pay phone. She called her boyfriend, told him what she'd seen. He told her, just stay on the phone. Uh, I'm with you in spirit, but maybe not physically. And as the college started to fill up with people, she relaxed, went on to class, and but it's stuck in her mind for the rest of her life. Sure. Yeah, experience like that doesn't, doesn't quickly get forgotten. Um, then later, yeah. uh, maybe two or three years, I can't swear for certain because nobody could give me the dates, a group of ball players were practicing at the ball field, which is on the north side of the campus, uh, up past Taylor Street. And at the time, there were no buildings in the area. It was just the ball field, an old... Uh, defunct cemetery that the bodies had been removed. The ball players are coming off the field, heading to their cars in the parking lot. One of them looks down the end of the street. Now they're two blocks north from where Paulina had had her sighting. And they see the exact same thing. The woman, long black hair, full-length dress, high collar, and she's drifting across the end of the street right in front of them. Uh, Lots of yelling and screaming as these guys dove in their cars and drove away. Well, I think I think Paulina was a lot more uh, composed than they were. Yeah, um, you know it's funny. You never you're never out. Lo- well, I shouldn't say that. Some of us actually do go out looking for those things. However, mm-hmm. most people aren't. They're just minding their own business. And when you come across something like that, it's not the type of experience where you say you whip out a phone and take a picture. Or vi- I mean, you're you're just frightened. And yeah. even if it's more startled than scared, it does affect you that way. Mm-hmm. What about the little girl? There's a little girl's been seen yeah. too, right? The little girl is an anomaly because since I finished the book about Fort McIntosh, I have encountered dozens of reports from other people outside of the fort where they have seen what sounds exactly like the same girl. 
Now, the description of her is she looks between six and eight years of age. She has a long white dress that comes down to her knees, but she looks real. She doesn't look like a ghost. She looks alive. She has those boots with buttons on the sides. They stopped using those in 1917. Yeah. She is seen originally inside the motor pool. Uh, one of the campus police was driving around just doing his duty, and he sees this girl walking into the motor pool. And, well, his first thought is, what's this little girl doing on the campus in the middle of the night? So he pulls up to the gate, jumps out, and yells to the girl. And as he's yelling to her, you know, what are you doing in the motor pool, she just faded away. Him being a cop, he swore he was never going to tell anybody the rest of his life. Me being a retired Border Patrol agent, they, they'll talk to me, and it's always with the caveat that you don't mention my name. Uh, so I always have to come up with an alias for them. Well, then later, the same girl was seen walking along. There was a street that used to run in front of the, the chapel. The street is now just a walkway. They removed the, the vehicle traffic from it. But they would see her walking along the sidewalk towards the chapel. And it was the same deal. The campus police, they'd see her. They'd pull up alongside her to see what this little girl doing on the campus in the middle of the night, and she would disappear. Mm. And once again, the police, they were like, well, I'm not telling anybody. Then a Laredo officer who was just driving through the campus, in order to get into certain neighborhoods, you had to come across the Washington Street Bridge in order to get past the railroad tracks. Uh, when the trains were hooking up, that's the only way you can get from one side of town to the other. So they would drive through the campus. And one of the Laredo officers is driving along, and he sees this girl standing on top of one of the trash cans, white dress, down to her knees. He said she had these weird-looking boots, came up you know, past her ankles. And as he got up next to her, she jumped off of the trash can onto the hood of his car. But he slams on the brakes, jumps out, a little upset, you know, thinking she's damaged his car. She had vanished as he was getting out of the car. And he said there was no dent in the hood, which he was glad because he didn't know how he would explain it. Yeah, ghost girl just jumped on my car, put a dent in the hood. Uh, <laughs> since that time, she's also been seen in front of the uh, hospital, the same one where the dogs were barking. And since I finished that book and started working on Paranormal Laredo, this, I believe it's the same spirit, has been seen all over town. Uh, have you ever heard of anything like this, a ghost that pretty much haunts an entire town? Uh, that's not particularly common. I mean, there's, there, you know, there were reports of ghosts that haunt, like, uh, the railroad yards, you know, which mm -hmm. is a pretty big area, if you know, in some places. You know, that type of thing. But not just that it shows up randomly all over yeah. town. That's, a pr that's pretty unique. Um, I mean, maybe there was a farm in that area that all that land was farmland at one point or something along those lines. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of way. If you if you go back in history, obviously, the land was very much different. We're going to run out of time here in a few minutes here. But, um, Chris, I want to ask you about when you when you were writing the book, first of all, is this activity taking place uh, contemporarily as well? I mean, you said yes. it started, you know, when the military left it, basically, uh, and it continues today. Yes, we had a ghost tour and investigation in October uh, 2018, and it was for the staff and the students of the college. They were all invited to come along. And everybody had cameras, everybody had recorders. It turned into a giant uh, logistics nightmare because we have so much footage that we still haven't gone through it all yet. We're, you know, thousands and thousands of hours of photos and 
Well, at the end of each tour, Ishmael would click a photograph of the, the group that was on the tour. Just take back, you know, here was the guys that enjoyed our last tour. We're looking at the photographs of the tour, and standing behind one of the groups, you can see the silhouette of a person. But if you look closely, you can see the wall right through the person's body, and that was 2018. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, that, yeah, that's that's very recent. So, mm-hmm. so in the book, you, uh, you, you got some first-hand accounts. You had to go with uh, some second- or third-hand yep. hand accounts from some things that happened a while ago, which is understandable. Uh, did anybody, other than that, the picture you just described to us, is there any other evidence, any EVP or oh, video yeah. evidence that helps support some of these ideas? They were using the uh, SLR camera. Yeah, the the one that shoots out the little laser beams, uh, SLR SLS D, DL, DSLR. Are you? Oh, you're talking about the one that shoots out the okay. the, the laser grid. Yeah, that's a has that not a full spectrum camera. No, but right. well, anyway, they're, they're shooting yeah. the grid out. And what Ishmael's team does is they hook the camera up to a big screen TV so that you can you know more than one person can see what's going on instead of just a little computer screen. And while Dana was talking, she was using an EMF meter, and she would ask, is there someone here, and the lights would blink. And she would say, are you male or female, and the lights would blink for male, I believe it was. And then she asked if the person would like some candy, and they said yes. You know, uh, one blink, yeah, one blink for yes, two for no. And she put some candy on the desk, and then she asked if she could give some candy to a member of the group, and it started blinking no. Uh, apparently, whoever the spirit was didn't like one of the members of the group. Uh, <laughs> little things like that. And yeah. when you look on the the computers, I mean the TV screen, you could see the computer-generated image of something in the room that was not one of the students. It would move around, mm. and it was one of those things we couldn't explain it. And fortunately, we did record it. But like I said, it's... it's uh, just something you can't say, oh, that was definitely a ghost, but the computer sure did think it was. Chris, I'm going to have uh, Slick Eddie um, get back in touch with you and schedule another time for you to come oh, on, because there's a lot more we can talk about here. We're just out of time tonight, though. Well, um, plus, we're... I'm almost done with uh, Paranormal Laredo, so oh, okay, more, cool. more things to talk about. That's that's terrific. Where can people get a hold of uh, this book and, and your uh, your earlier book? If you're in Laredo... They sell my books at the Organic Man Coffee Trike and at the Phoenix Bookstore. Or you can order it through Amazon.com. Terrific. Thanks for being such a great guest. We appreciate you sharing the stories with us. You bet. All right. Thanks for having me, sir. All right. And we'll have you back on. Talk to you again soon. Uh, again, Chris James, and we got to, um, you can find the, if you're not in Laredo, you can find the books on Amazon. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.